you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, welcome, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as we are concluding our Revive series that looks at the different ways and the different things that God uses to grow our faith. It all comes from an Andy Stanley sermon uh, series that he did uh, years back, and uh, there's a study that came with it. And so we are looking at the Andy Stanley one that says five things God uses to grow your faith and wanted to unpack those a little bit. As we start the beginning of the year, There are some things that God uses to grow our faith that we step into, that we get to have private disciplines, we get to be able to lean into those, and there's other things that happen to us that we are unaware of, unprepared for in many ways, but when they do and when they happen, God can use those to grow our faith in in exponential in powerful ways, but they're often things that we don't ever wish upon ourselves, and we don't even wish upon those around us, but through those difficult circumstances, God works. And so as we are closing out our series this morning, we want to take a few moments to just look at very briefly where we've been, then point to where we're going, and then pray that God would meet us here in this time. So as we mentioned, there are five things, the five to revive that we talked about was practical biblical teaching, being able to come and put yourself in a place and in a position to hear the Bible being preached, but not just for us to have more information, because information in and of itself does not always lead to transformation, but it's information and application. How do we take what we learn and apply that to our lives in practical ways, and God can work and we can build our foundation upon his word and upon the rock of who Jesus is. Providential relationships, just who has God put in our lives, either for a short time or for a lifetime, that help us grow our faith, to challenge us, to encourage us, to walk alongside us. Private disciplines, what are the things that we do? Recognizing we don't do private disciplines to earn God's love. It's not a, it's not a checklist that gets us on God's good side, but it's aligning ourselves. And it's, it's using the illustration of not a motorboat that we are in charge and we steer everything, but a sailboat in which we see how God's spirit is moving and we align our lives in such a way that God would take us where he wants us to go in his timing, which is not always or often where we want to go in our timing. Personal ministry, we talked about this last week, how we all are called to do something for God, to serve in a way that you have been shaped to do, that you've been created to do. And we're really excited because over the next five weeks, we're going to unpack how God has shaped each and every one of us for ministry. But last week, instead of looking at the things that God has shaped us to do, we looked at what happens when God calls us and we have objections. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we don't know ourselves. We feel like we don't have confidence. And yet God says, I will be with you. That is your confidence. That is your hope. Recognize that if the great I am is for us, who can be against us? And so recognizing that calling. So today, Today's a, a week that could be really difficult for many of us. So I want to I pause and acknowledge that these pivotal circumstances, many times they can be really positive pivotal circumstances that, that they cause us to lean in. But most often, these circumstances that catapult us into deeper faith are often ones that are incredibly painful, incredibly difficult. It's, it's the phone call that talks about the fact that you got 
to go back for another diagnosis because the cancers come back. It's, it's the moment when you get the no notification that your services are no longer required at the company you've spent decades working at. It's the moment when your kid tells you that they've grown up, but they've not just left your home, they've left the faith. It's these moments that we see these are such difficult circumstances. And friends, when these pivotal circumstances come, we all have the choice to either run to God with them or to run from God because of them. And so how do we look into that? And what are the ways that we navigate these pivotal circumstances? And what does it look like for us to not just get through them, but to grow through them? Now, uh, I know not everyone is a fan uh, of the NFL with the conference championship weekend uh, is this weekend, Go Niners. And what I want to do, though, is talk about the fact that there was a story that came out um, that happened on Monday Night Football a about a month ago now, in which there was a Buffalo Bills safety, so he was on the defense, named DeMar Hamlin. And DeMar Hamlin, he made a tackle, a routine tackle, and then he completely, you see him, and we're not, we're not showing the video, but you see him stand up from the tackle, and then you just see him completely collapse. The emergency medical team runs in, rushes in, performs CPR right away. A doctor later on was quoted as saying that when he fell to the ground, he was dead. But the quick actions of the medical team, he was able to be revived, and then he was able to go to the hospital. And there was this, there was these, this week where there was just no idea what was going to happen. We have a picture of seeing, it was at Cincinnati, so it's, this, these are Bengals fans, but you see the Buffalo Bills, and you would see the Bengals. You would see these two teams that moments earlier were fighting for playoff seating and who was going to have home field advantage, and they realized that something much deeper and much more important and much more vital was happening. It was the fact that someone on the team was no longer, they didn't know if they were going to survive. And imagine trying to go play after that. And thankfully, the NFL did, did postpone the game and eventually canceled it. But what ended up happening through that circumstance is that as DeMar Hamlin was in the hospital, uh, one of that first days, there's a former quarterback named Dan Orlovsky who was on a show called NFL Live on ESPN. Dan loves the Lord, and he says, you know, I heard that the Buffalo Bills mentioned they believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. I'm going to pray right now on, on um, live TV. He's like, I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to pray out loud. And he prayed for DeMar. He said, God, we don't understand all these circumstances, and we might be angry, we might be sad, but we believe in the power of prayer, and would you bring healing? Later on in that week, you start to see people coming around, and, and Damar had put together a, a GoFundMe, a, a fundraising page, and within the span of a couple weeks, there had been over $7 million raised to help kids all across where he's from and across the country. That God was bringing and stirring something within them. Not just that, but we see this picture of the next week when the Buffalo Bills go and they were playing the, t the next game. They had pray for tomorrow and the fact that prayer was, was more prevalently known and people were mentioning it and talking about it. But what happened here is that in the very first, like the kickoff to start off the game, one of the Buffalo Bills players, they run it back for a touchdown. And Josh Allen, who's, who's the quarterback and he's the, the captain of the team, everyone looks to him. He said on an interview later on, he was just walking throughout the entire team. He's like, I was telling my teammates, God is real. God is real. God is real. He's like, that, that, you couldn't write that up. God is real. And he did an interview later. And he said, you know, I, 
I grew up um, in a Methodist home, I believe it was, but he was talking about how, I, you know, since I became an adult, I didn't really uh, go to church. He said, when I was growing up, because he lived in the Central Valley of Northern California, he said, I just wanted to leave church, which I don't like, but it was to go cheer and watch the 49ers play, which I do like. And so, you know, I'm able, I'm torn, but he was just talking about this idea of, I didn't go to church much, and I haven't gone much, maybe once or twice this past season. But this has been, this experience has created conversations in my life and in the lives of my teammates. And Sean McDermott, who is the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, is a God-loving man. He follows the Lord. Uh, He's a profound, not profound, excuse me, professed Christian, is very clear about his faith. And Josh and the other players are saying, we're looking to him to lead us through this. So, just yesterday, Damar Hamlin was able to do a video that he was able to, he was, social media, he was able to wake up and he was able to communicate. And even yesterday when a video came out, the whole part of the video is like, he's saying, with God's help, I'm going to be able to have an impact on so many more people than I even thought. And so none of us would have wished that to happen. None of us watch a football game or any sporting event or any circumstance in life and think, I hope a tragedy happens today. But... God can use these very difficult circumstances to have his name glorified and so that people will begin to have conversations about it, about him, and that faith in time would be able to grow out of it. Now, we don't see all of those workings, and we have to have a a mindset that we could trust God in the midst of these pivotal circumstances, which is much easier said than done. But Andy Stanley, in his sermon, he says it this way. He talks about how Jesus wants us to understand the incomparable importance of our faith. And he uses the tragedies in our lives to bring the lesson home. He quoted C.S. Lewis in one section that talked about how pain is a megaphone that God uses to rouse a deaf world. So, friends, some of you are in a season where you're in the midst of pain. Some of you are in the season where you, it's harder to hear God's voice amidst the trials and the tribulations. May I hopefully and prayerfully be able to encourage you as we look through John chapter 11 and we see people who experience pain. We see heartache and brokenness, and yet through these pivotal circumstances, God could grow their faith. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to see what God has for each and every one of us through his word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, or watching or listening later throughout the week. God, we thank you for the fact that, Lord, we we know that there are incredibly difficult circumstances that are going on in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Lord, we so often ask questions as to why this is happening or what are you doing and what is happening. And so, Lord, may we, if we are in the midst of that season, may we lean into you this morning. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that those who are hurting today, God, that that these words would be spoken lovingly and they would receive it lovingly to know they're not alone, that a bruised reed you do not break off and a smoldering wick you do not snuff out, that you meet us in our brokenness. And God, may you give us the courage to be able to lean into you and run to you rather than running from you because of these pivotal circumstances. We love you, Lord. Be with us now, please, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So we're going to be in John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first section there because there's a few pieces of context we'll need. We'll end up landing more heavily on John 11, 37, 35 through 44 near the end. But if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you or underneath you. And if you're joining online, click the Bible link or the Bible tab and you'll be able to follow us along in John chapter 11. Now, as we're getting there, what I want to kind of posit as our main point this morning is this, and, and it might, the, weird, the wording might seem a little off at first, but I promise you it'll make more sense by the end of our time together. But here's the main point, that God grows us, he grows us, okay, that's the emphasis, through pivotal circumstances so that we don't put a period where he puts a comma. God grows us through pivotal circumstances so that we don't put a period where he puts a comma. Gracie Allen, a comedian whose husband, her and her husband, George Burns, did uh, comedy for many, many, many years. She wrote that. The story goes that as, as she was passing away, she wrote a note to say, when, uh, to say that George never put a comma, where, never put a period where God has put a comma. And George lived another 30 years and was still doing comedy and still doing things. But the idea was this. Why do we go? We grow through pivotal circumstances so that we don't put a period where he puts a comma. That's what we often think is the end of the story isn't always the end. So let's give the context here. This is John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We see that if we go to the next slide, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2 is not on the screen, but just listen along or read along. This, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Part of me thinks that helps to give context, right? But also I think it helps because there's lots of Marys in the New Testament. So it's just clarifying which Mary we're referring to here. That this is Mary that in chapter 12, it's actually coming up in our text um, in the next, uh, next chapter, that she's the one that poured perfume and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And then verse 3. So, uh, excuse me, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus is about a day's journey away from Bethany at the time. And so as he's a day's journey, the messenger comes and arrives. And all he says is, Lord, the one you love is sick. Imagine that idea of recognizing that we know from the text and we know from, from their experience that Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves this man. He, he loves their family, and he, it matters to him what they're going through. And so let's continue on. We know that Jesus loves Lazarus, but when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Now it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Why did I highlight so that, and why did we put that in our main point? This word so that is the word in the word, in the Greek, excuse me, is the word hina. And it talks about like in, a, in order to, it, it gives the purpose for the explanation. And so what it's saying is that, okay, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. Why is Lazarus experiencing this sickness? So that Jesus would be glorified. Now, friends, that, that can be hard for us because we might cry out to God, why are you allowing this difficult thing in my life? And this is a lot easier to, to say from a pulpit than to live throughout the week. But there are times when we have trials and pain and heartache in order that God, in order that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. In order that people would look to our lives and see 
that God is doing a work in them, and you could see the heartache, you could see the pain in their lives, but God is doing something. And we would love to just have it work out for us that whenever we go through pain, God just immediately fixes it for us. We say, God, wouldn't you be glorified through my, through my good times, through my comforts, through my excitement, through good things only? But in the text, and, and we, don't always have to, um, we don't always have to like what we hear about this because it's hard for us to resonate, but we know we can love and trust who God is. So it's hard for us that God somebody be glorified. We are going through pain. So now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So again, we get reiterated that Jesus loves these people. These are not people who he barely knew. These are not people that are mere acquaintances. These are not people who just follow him on Instagram, but he has no interaction with. These are people he loves and he knows. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, we all know how this is going to work, right? He loves these people. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. So when he heard they were sick, he dropped everything and left immediately in hopes that he could come back in time to be able to save them and to get all the glory. What does the text say? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Wait, okay, we've already established that Jesus loves these people. So why does he wait to move in the lives of those he loves? Well, it's so that he would be glorified. Why, when we cry out to God, does he sometimes wait to do what we're asking him to do, what what we want him to do, what we know would be best for him to do through our perspective, so that God and his son would be glorified, so that people would point to him and they would give him glory. So we start, we jump down a little bit. There's a conversation where they say, go back to Judea. And the disciples, they kind of argue about that and, and say, well, don't you remember, Lord? Uh, they wanted to kill you last time you went down there. Should we maybe do one of those things where you can just heal Lazarus from afar? We know you did it with the centurion's daughter. Is it possible that you would just say, he's fine, and we could just stay here in our comfort? But we continue on, and then we jump down a couple of verses, and it says this. Go to the next slide. It says, after he had said this, he went on to tell his disciples, he's speaking to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, let's go to the next slide, please. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And, but Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus was using sleep as a, as a, um, a euphemism or as just a figure of speech to be able to say, oh yeah, no, he's sleeping. Like, well, great, he'll wake up, he'll be fine. You already said that the sickness will not end in death, so Lord, he's just asleep. He'll wake up and we could stay safe and we could be here and we could be fine. But then Jesus speaks plainly, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and this is the part that stretches our faith. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that, there's that word hina again, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Friends, this passage is not nearly as easy for us to understand. When we're doing well, we can think, oh, that makes sense that God would allow things so that he would be glorified. It it even makes sense that God would do things, why? So that you, he's talking to his disciples, so that his believers would, would know more and believe more about him. But what do we do when it says, for your sake, for the disciples' sake, He's glad that 
Lazarus died? For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad that we were a journey away. And then why is it that he waited two more days? Why? We know Jesus loves these people. When Jesus loves us, we know that Jesus loves us. He loves you. He loves me. So why do we go through difficult times? Sometimes it's so that he could be glorified. Why are there these painful circumstances? It's so that we may believe. And we say, Lord, we might believe so much more easily if you, if you just did what we wanted when we wanted it. If you answered the prayer the way we want it to be. It would be so much more, wouldn't it have been amazing if Damar Hamlin just popped right up and was able to play the rest of the game and say, wow, that was a miracle. And yet, through that pivotal circumstance, millions of dollars was raised in order to help out other kids who were struggling. People heard live prayer to God on live TV from Dan Orlovsky. People like Josh Allen and other members of the, Bengal, or the Bills are saying, God is real. Like, I needed an experience like this to acknowledge that God is real. Friends, I, I wrestle with this, and it'd be really hard for me if I was counseling one of you sitting across in my office, and you're saying, why is God allowing this? And I say, so he could be glorified, so that you would believe. But Jesus doesn't see things on the same level that we do. We see our lives, and he sees all the whole world. There's the lower story and there's the upper story. The lower story is what you and I experience in our interactions. The upper story is God saying, okay, I know that I'm going to allow people that I love to go through heartache, to go through tragedy, to go through pain. But it's not without purpose. It's not without hope that there is a reason why. And he sees the whole picture, whereas we're seeing the chapter of, or the paragraph on the page that we're on now. And this chapter is dark, but he sees the whole story. He's the author of our faith. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, but the fact is undeniable. Our faith is permanently impacted by these big, bad, bold, unexpected circumstances. And that's not accidental. It's intentional on God's part. God can use this. And, and on one hand, this could be hard for us to hear. Like, God... God would intentionally put us through difficult times so we may believe. But let's just take a moment to investigate the other side of that coin. Does it encourage us any more to think that we go through pain without a purpose? Does it make us feel any better to think that, well, there is no reason why I'm going through this, and God, he must just not be in control. He must not be as powerful as we think. He may not be as good as we think. The flip side points us to the fact of maybe, maybe we get pushed away from God as well. And so it's acknowledging that the intentionality of our difficulty is not the fact that God is callous. It's the fact that he loves us enough to grow through these difficult circumstances so that he would be glorified and so that we would believe. So in the time remaining that we have together, we're going to jump down uh, a little bit lower into the passage, and we're going to use um, punctuation marks to kind of navigate the journey that many of us go on when we have pivotal circumstances. And the first is the question. We just say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, what are you doing? God, 
why can't you do this? And why is it like that? And what's going on? And where are you in this? The question marks that we cry out to God in the midst of our pivotal and often painful circumstances. So as we jump down, I'm going to jump down to verse 21 and 22 because Jesus, he ends up arriving to um, Bethany. He finds out where he, he goes to where he was, and there have been many Jewish people who had come to comfort the people and comfort Mary and Martha and recognizing that there were a lot of witnesses there who were about to see what would take place. So in verse 21, Martha approaches him, but Mary stays at home. And, and the verbiage stayed at home in the NIV in this translation. Um, the other translations talked about how she remained seated at home. And there's a little cultural clue there for us because when there was a time of grief and mourning in the first century Jewish culture, that there would be the people who were mourning would stay seated. And there would be mourners who would sit and in silence and in wailing and in mourning just sit to be with that person. But the person in mourning would sit and just allow for that space. And the people would allow for that space to just grieve with someone without having to say anything or without them having to say anything as well. So... The picture here is not that Mary was just staying at home doing nothing. It's that she was in the midst of grieving, that there were people around her that were grieving with her for the loss of her brother. But Martha goes. Martha goes to see Jesus. And said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Remember how Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And remember how much that that means him, that we see it in the text twice before we see the story? Imagine, Martha said, if, if you had been here. Now, was she accusatory? If you had been here, sometimes we cry out to God in our anger out of our pain, right? And, and we can run to God with our pain and in our anger. Was it sadness? Was it, God, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would still be here with us. Was it just matter of fact, just a statement of faith? Lord, if you'd been here, I know he'd have been all right. Now, we don't want to, we, we're not reading into the text. We're acknowledging that text is hard to read emotions into, but Here's where we look at her, when she, what shows her faith is that she says, if you've been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's still presenting herself in a posture of questioning, but a posture of faith. Now, in the commentaries I read it, the, the idea was less that she thought he would immediately be able to do something like raise him from the dead. But the conversation that takes place out of this is him and Martha saying, he's like, Martha, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise at the end, you know, at the, at the, at the end of the days. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So, so often when we enter into a questioning time of pivotal circumstances, God, why? It'll end with, a question from him, do you believe me? Do you love me? Do you trust me enough to walk through this question mark? We see Mary come up later on 
Martha says, the, the teacher's asking for you. So Mary runs. And remember, she's sitting there. So everyone, the mourners who are sitting there with her, see her and say, she must be going to see Lazarus. Let's go with her. And follows along and follows her to see where Jesus was. He was still away from, um, he, was still, he hadn't quite entered into Bethany yet. So we see this. And we're going to jump ahead because Mary says the exact same thing. It's not, it's not on the screen, so hold for a sec. Verse 32 says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the exact same words. But when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come along, those who were mourning with her, who were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so, friends, some of you here, some of you are... um, some of you in your faith, you're, you're, you're analytical, you're logical, you think through things, you're more of a thinker than a feeler. And so if that's you in the midst of these pivotal circumstances, maybe in your prayers you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, if you've been here with me, this bad thing wouldn't have happened, but even now I still believe you can do something out of it. Friends, some of you, some of us, me, we're more emotional. That when Mary starts weeping at Jesus' feet and says the exact same thing that Mary said, or excuse me, that Martha said, and she's weeping, Jesus doesn't give her a lesson on theology. He doesn't dive into her beliefs. What does he do? Verse 34 and 35. Go to the next slide for me, please. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Friends, he can meet you when you come to him with your questions, with your, uns- your lack of certainty, or you're wondering why. If you're, if you're someone who's, I still have faith, Lord, he will stretch your understanding of who he is. But if you're someone who's just in the midst of that grief and you can't put two words together, he meets you in your grief and grieves alongside of you. There's no right or wrong way to approach Jesus in our grief. The only wrong way is to run from him rather than to him. So we see this here. Jesus wept. Then the the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? With a question mark. Martha questions him, says, Lord, if you had been here, this would have been different. But I still believe. Mary questions him and says, if you would have been here, he would have been alive and just grieves. And then people look at him and say, Man, couldn't, he have, couldn't he have done more? Isn't he powerful enough and good enough to do more? I mean, this is in John 11, John chapter 9, the story of how he healed the man who was born blind had just happened. The, the stories had started to spread. He says, couldn't... Couldn't the, eye, the one who opened up the eyes of the blind man in John 9, couldn't he have done something else for the one that he actually loved? The man born blind was someone he saw on the side of the road. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. Why couldn't he have done more? And we sit in our questions. Many of you know the story um, of Dan Lewis and the Lewis family with Nate. Um, and so I got permission from Dan to share some of his posts that happened at the end of December when things had been going pretty well, but then there started to be many more um, emergency room visits and they had plans. They went to Disneyland and yet by the end of that, they had to go back to the emergency room and it was just this really, really difficult season. It's already been hard, but there was this time where 
it was just extra difficult. And so in late December, Dan writes this post about why, and he says this in the first post. He had two about it. The first one says this, why? This question mark, why? It's the word that haunts those in hard times. It's the question often launched heavenward out of frustration, anger, and fear. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why God? Why? Let's go to the next slide. When Nate was writhing in pain this morning after the unsuccessful surgery to remove the stones a couple weeks ago, why don't you help him? You have the power. See, this is not just a treatise on how we should, you know, think we should approach these things. This is, this is listening to Dan and the Lewis family wrestling with the why questions with Nate and specifically with why now, why this, why God, why? And his question here, why don't you help him? You have the power. It reminisces, it points us back, or it's similar to John eleven thirty seven. Couldn't the man who healed, couldn't the one who healed the man born blind, couldn't he have done something? Can't, can't the God that we know can do miracles, why can't he work a miracle in my life? If God is who he says he is, why doesn't he show up the way that we want him to? And many of us, this question phase will be the one that either causes us to make a decision to either run to him with our questions or to run from him because of them. And if we run from him because of them, or even if we run to them but we don't see the answer, we'll move from a place where we have questions to a place of finality, a place where we have no more hope, a place that could be marked by a period. It's the end of story, full stop. Let's see this as we go once more into the the text. Jesus, once more deeply moved. And this word deeply moved, it's a little, um, uh, it doesn't equate, it doesn't point us to what it is. It's, It's not so much of like he's deeply, like just really saddened. It's the same word that they would use for like horses, nostrils being flared up. It's just like, it is like, like, why does death have to have this power? Why do the ones I love go through? It's, it's this bigger emotion rather than just, wow, he really felt something. The translations in other places could be, it was anger, frustration. And so it's saying it's not just this passive. He's, he's owning and embracing the emotions he's feeling. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And so he embraces these emotions. But Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And then go to the next slide. Martha replied, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days with a period. Let's unpack the timeline for a moment. We've, we've discovered already that where he was staying was a one day's journey away from Bethany. So once there was the word, that, let's say it was a Tuesday. Tuesday shows up and Martha and Mary go to their messenger say, go find Jesus. We know where he is. He's about a day's journey out from here. Tell him what's going on. Okay, tell him that the Lord, the one you love is sick and I know he'll be back by tomorrow, by the end of day. So he sends them out on Tuesday then Jesus finds out about it on Wednesday. He, or he gets there by Wednesday. And then he says, this sickness will not end in death. This is so that I can be glorified. This is so that you all will believe. And he waits there two more days. Wednesday, Thursday. Then he starts the journey back to see him, to see Mary and Martha on Friday. Four days have passed. 
and it says, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. It tells us two things. One, it tells us that likely, before the messenger even arrived, Lazarus had died. Because he's already been entombed for four days. He's already been there. So it's not just that he died, it's that he's entombed for four days. So by the time Jesus found out from, I mean, he already would have known, but by the time the messenger came, during that day's journey on Tuesday, if you will, Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha have no way to contact the messenger to tell him we no longer need that request. There's no way to take back that message. And so when Jesus is waiting two days, we think, God, why don't you show up? And he's saying, I already know what's going to happen. And these moments in which he waits two more days is not out of callousness. It's because in the Jewish culture, the second thing the four days tells us is there's, there was a, an understanding at the time that once you've passed three days, a body and a spirit, the body was fully dead and the spirit was fully gone. So if Lazarus, if Jesus came right when he found out on Tuesday, and he arrived by the end of day Wednesday, and Lazarus would be raised from the dead, they wouldn't have given Jesus the glory they would have said, well, yeah, the spirit hangs around for a couple of days, and so it makes sense that he just found his way back into Lazarus. But Jesus waiting two days was not out of callousness. It was out of intentionality to say, I'm going to wait so that when I arrive and so that when people talk about what's about to take place, they won't give anyone credit. They'll only give God's son glory. Why is this sickness not going to end in death? He so that the son of God would be glorified. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you would believe. God's timing is not our timing as much as we wish it were. It's not. He'd been there four days. And Martha had put a period where Jesus wanted to put a comma. So we see the comma here as the third one. Then Jesus said, starting in verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you believe, comma, you already said you would believe, Martha, if you truly believe, you will see the glory of God, the Son of God would be glorified. This comma is a beautiful thing. Now, to be clear, just for full context, in the original Greek, there's not punctuation. So this is one where we're looking at the translations and we're looking at how English translators put punctuation. So I don't want to mislead you. I'm like, there's a comma in the Greek. There's not. But I want to be clear that we could still understand. Did I not tell you that if, friends, if we're, oh man, this is when I wanted to be an English teacher. So if something is a dependent clause, right, and then there's an independent clause, the dependent clause comes first. The comma depends and shows us what that dependent clause is dependent upon. Turn off your brain. Now you get back. We're fine. So if you believe, you will see the glory of God. There's a comma there. Now, let me unpack this because I've only got, oh man, a couple minutes left. Here's some beautiful commas in the scripture, okay? This is, some of these relate to this, some of them don't. This is probably one of the most beautiful commas in scripture is this, because if this was a period, think about how desperate our situation in life would be. Let's go to the next slide. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. If this was a period, we would be without hope. Yet in the text, it's not a period. What is it? It's a comma that says this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's keep going on. The righteous person may have many troubles. We've talked about this. This one's a little bit more applicable to our lesson today. The righteous man may have many troubles, 
If that was a period, we'd say, well, then why do I still pursue you, Lord? Or why am I doing this? Why am I living rightly? This is one of the Psalms 73 talks about and wrestles with this. But it's not a period. It's a comma. What's the comma say? But the Lord delivers him from them all. And then let's go to the next one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Friends, if that was my message to you today from the book of James chapter 1, you'd be like, okay, but how and why? And, and it's helpful to know I can consider, but why would I consider it joy that I'm going through trials of many kinds? It's not a period. It's a comma. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friends, these commas often push us past the periods that we try to say, God, you can't do anything more here. The commas show us that there's more to the story, that God is not done. We are not stuck in our transgressions. We are not stuck there for the wages of sin is death. Yes, but... The eternal life we have is the grace of God through Christ Jesus. We recognize that we will face trials, all of us. But it's because that we will be able to be grown mature so that we would not lack anything, so that our faith would grow. Andy Stanley puts a point on this that I want to close with this point with, was that when it feels like God is allowing something to happen to us, it's easy to lose faith. God, why are you doing this to me? Don't you care? Why are you doing this to my family? But when we accept that he is doing something in us, we are candidates for the grace we need in order to endure. If we think God is this distant, far off, I'm doing this to you, it might cause us to walk away and run from him. But when we remember especially for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, that he's working and shaping and molding and forming us. He's doing something in us that could not have been done from the outside, and he's working and he's renovating and he's cleaning things up. We'll be able to be candidates to receive the grace he has for us. Notice it doesn't say it'll all be easy the next day. Lazarus... Martha Mary, Martha Mary had to wait a few days. We might have to wait much longer for the answer to our prayers. But is it possible, and I would say that it is, that God is working in us and through us in a way that could not happen if we just thought he was doing something to us. Let's circle back to Dan's story. A couple days later, he wrote another why post. And here's what he says. He said in the second why post, you see, I do trust that God knows what he's doing, even though I don't always feel that way. When I can ask my why out of that trust, it changes from an accusatory, why don't you do what I want, to something with a deeper meaning, even given the pain, hurt, and confusion I feel. Let's go to the next one. Why can also be a question of purpose. Why is this happening can also mean, what is God's purpose in it? I'm working, in Dan's words, I'm working on changing my mindset to accept this in my heart. From, quote, God, why us, why this, why now, to God, what is your purpose in it all? Andy Stanley will close this point here when he says this. It is the preeminent way of honoring God to say, I believe and I trust, even though I have very little to hang my belief and my trust on. When we're in the midst of our questions and we don't see the end, to still trust and to still have faith. 
is the preeminent way of honoring God. My last few minutes, we've gone through the question mark. We've gone through the period, the moment of finality that we think God's done, but that we realize never to put a period where God has put a comma. And then lastly, we get to see the story close with an exclamation point. So we'll jump in. It says this, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here. This is, doesn't have the so, but guess what word this is? Hina, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Which starts with a question mark, can end with an exclamation point if we don't put a period where God puts a comma. Now, not all of our stories end like this, and we know this, and we're sensitive to that. But that doesn't mean that that exclamation point won't happen. It might just be on the other side of eternity. It might be that we have loved ones that didn't survive, but we know right now that they're in a place without pain, no more weeping, no more pain, no more trials, and acknowledging that when we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we'll see them again. We would love for the exclamation point to come just four, minute, four days after the question. We don't always get that, but God is always the same. So, God, he grows us through providential, or excuse me, yeah, pivotal circumstances so that, Hina, so that we wouldn't put a period where God puts a comma. Because, friends, God is still working in the midst of your trial, of your circumstance, of your heartache, the, the moments that you've cried out why. God has a purpose for it. And we don't always like that it takes longer than we want. We don't always like that it's not how we want but we can still trust that who we want, the relationship with God is the most important relationship in our lives, that he is working, not doing something to us, but working in us to grow and become the men and women he's called us to become. We all have the choice today to either run from him because of our pivotal circumstances or to run to him with our questions, our periods, then to see his comma and to celebrate and rejoice in his exclamation point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, I know that as we unpack the problem of pain, as we unpack heartache and God's, your timing, as we unpack some of these really heavy topics, Lord, I pray that in any time or any way that I um, spoke in a way that may have uh, come off as too bold or too harsh to someone who's wounded. God, may you, Holy Spirit, gloss over some of those words. May you remind them again that a bruised reed you do not break and a smoldering wick you do not snuff out, that you meet us in our weakness, God, and you allow us to come to you with our questions. Lord, I pray that for anyone who's going through a circumstance that's pivotal right now, God, that you would help them in their questions to know they could come to you, whether it is with anger, whether it's accusatory, whether it's fear, whether it's sadness, or whether it's just a simple statement of faith. May you meet them just as you met Martha and Mary, and may you meet them in the way they need most today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to see how you are still working 
And where we put a period and think the story's over, may we look for the comma and how your story and your glory will continue on and you allow these things to happen so that we would believe. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.